Welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast, where we are practicing the art of kindness and civil discourse and authenticity and storytelling. Our goal is to foster a healthy dialogue about race relations in our community. We seek common ground for common good and hope these conversations encourage you to build authentic relationships outside of your race or comfort zone. This season of the podcast is made possible by the generous support of the Oklahoma City Black Justice Fund. Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. I'm your host, Waylon Cubitt. And I'm Taylor Doe. And today we are excited to welcome yet another good friend of both of ours, and her name is Scotia Moore. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, this is going to be fun today. Oh, my goodness. And so I'm going to give a little background on Scotia, and then we're going to just jump right in. Go, Tito. So Scotia has 25 years of experience designing and leading programming for children and women, as well as a background in arts and advocacy. As a social entrepreneur and consultant, Scotia seeks to help people and organizations connect with purpose, self, and others for the common good. She and her husband, Stephen Moore, are the parents of 10 young world changers, which is a true statement. Today, she is joining us on the podcast to discuss some of her recent work, weaving a community of care and belonging so that funders and practitioners in the nonprofit sector can be generous together. Yes. And before we get started, I want to I'd like to add that this podcast is a part of the United Voice Oklahoma movement which grew from a partnership with local media media organizations joining together to share more productive stories about race in our community. And Scotia is one of the original members of that group, and we've had a lot of meetings, a lot of conversations, things that we wish we were recording at the time. And she has been a quiet champion of this podcast for many, many years. So thank you so much, and welcome to United Voice Oklahoma. Thank you. Thank you. It's it's fun. I've I've avoided coming to this table, but I don't know why. <laughs> but I'm excited today. You're here. Yeah, you're here. You're here. So I want I want to know you you're involved in so many things. You have uh, a huge role of parenting, ten kids. Yes. So we could just really talk about the book you're writing on parenting. We could do <laughs> when that. When I get some time to write a book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you don't have time to write the book. But I re- I, we know you, and so we don't want to take that for granted for our listeners. So give us a little bio about who you are, yourself, a little bit about your family. Just kind of set the stage a little bit for us. Yeah, I, I'm so glad you asked about my family because um, I am a mother of 10. I have uh, six boys and four girls. They're 22 down to 8 years old. And um, and they really are my motivation for a lot of the work that I do in the city and uh, in trying to love my city well, trying to change uh, an ecosystem to become more and more healthy for everyone who lives in it. And so, you know, those everyone's the closest everyone's are my own children. And so uh, that's a lot of the work motivation that I have, but um, I'm a mother of 10. Uh, my husband, Stefan, and I have been married for almost 24 years. Mm. Um, we are involved in camping ministry, uh, Shiloh Camp, and soon to be known as Shiloh Adventures. And uh, we just, we're trying to love on people in our city, children, families, 
um, parents, strengthen families, and um, be involved in whatever it is that God calls us into to be responsive to the needs. And how long have you been in Oklahoma City? Because I've, I've seemed like you've been here for a long time, but I've heard you say you're not originally from Oklahoma City. I'm not. I am. We've been here since 2009. Um, my husband is from Cushing, Oklahoma, so he grew up in Oklahoma. Uh, I'm from the East Coast, the, the DMV. I was raised in Maryland, and um, so I've, I've married into this wonderful state. Uh, but, you know, several of my children have been born here. This is home. Right. This is home, and I've actually finally recruited my own mom to move here, and I'm still working on other families. Oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> That's special. Yeah. Yes. That's special. See, Oklahoma yeah. has that magnet that brings them all here. Yeah. Brings them all yep. here. Well, so you set the stage for us, and but and we can dive into the things that you're doing um, that we've done together through mm-hmm. Flourish and right here in the United Voice and the things we've done with media outlets. But Tito, you know yep. that she's doing other stuff. Talk to talk to us a little bit about what you know. Well, I I can give the listeners a little <laughs> bit of a background just from even walking into this podcast is that Scotia wears many hats. And it's even in one day. And even with her outfit today, now Scotia has style, but she walks in. She does, but she like walks in. She's like, I'm wearing like hiking boots right now because I just got done giving a tour of this camp and wearing a rain jacket because it's raining. Like that's how one of her skill sets is to be able to make those transitions really quick because she's in so many different spaces and make it feel like it's just so natural and smooth like you would not even tell that she was just outside in the rain (laughs) with I don't know how many people giving a tour about a completely different or a different topic than what we're talking about today Um, but I love that about you that you um, are able to do that and that's a skill set that is very much needed thank you variety is the spice of life right come on come on (laughs) and so um, one I want to backtrack just a second you mentioned Shiloh and I want to know your favorite part of camp Ooh. Um, I know that you guys built a new building. There's like a lot of exciting stuff happening um, yeah. right now. What What is one of your favorite places um, this, on camp? This is an interesting season at camp for us because it feels, at least for me, like this circling back um, in life right now. And so even with camping, like we had some huge dreams when we came in 2009 after the housing bubble burst and we had this crazy adventure that we probably don't have time for me to talk about, but it was, we lived in a hotel for three years with six and then seven and then eight children. It was crazy. Um, But that's where I fell in love with this city was um, through that experience. But my favorite part of camp, um, our, our theme this year is God makes all things new. And so this feels like a very new season. Like I'm, falling in love with this space and and the people who engage it and all of that all over again. Um, so I would say the multiplex, which is our new one of our two new buildings, is uh, is my favorite place right now because it's just this place. Shiloh means place of peace. And it's this place where people get to come and like their shoulders go down because mm. they're in this environment that, you know, is surrounded by 40 beautiful acres um, of land, um, but it's right in the middle of the city. And it, for me, embodies this season. Like there are new things. We're doing entrepreneurial things, but we're also serving our community in a way that's accessible financially. And that space is going to 
um, provide place for for that, but it also provides some provision for that because it's it is um, a space that can be utilized um, by other organizations and and raises funds for camp and therefore supports some of the ministry stuff that we're doing. So it's just it's a lot of fun. That. I love it, and I think the the word I hear there is new. And you have a lot of new things happening. Yes. Uh, you have just launched something that is new. I know it's been in the works, yep. but um, the, this part of the journey is new. And you launched something uh, not too long ago yeah. that I would love for you to share. I actually have the website pulled up and we'll talk about it. Um, but will you explain the loom? The loom. Yes. Um, well, for two years, uh, since 2020, I've been engaged in a conversation with funders and um, and many of them would prefer to be called resource partners because they aren't just coming to the table with funds. They're coming to the table with their network of relationships and and other resources. But and, and um, when you say funders, sorry to interrupt, mm-hmm. we're talking about will you explain that to our listeners who are are not in the nonprofit space or anything yeah. like that? What what who is a funder? What is a funder? Yeah. Um, in regards to that. For 25 years, I've been involved in the nonprofit space and where you, you're writing grants uh, to receive funding, you're asking for um, financial support for the work that you're doing. And now I'm in this interesting place of being both on the funder side and then also bridging the two. And so the funders are uh, corporate or private foundations who um, provide funds for nonprofit work that's happening and sometimes for-profit work um, depending on what the structure looks like. But yeah, there's, I think people are outside of that space of like, there's people who mm-hmm. have resources financially and yeah. connections that, that you've seen in order for other nonprofits to do work. Yes. Um, and some people come from the business background. So those look like investors, which is another, you know, word that gets used kind of in the business business world. So right. you're, you're meeting with a very specific kind of group of people right. um, who have different levels of resources exactly. um, to be able to fund projects in, in our city. Yes. Yep. Yes. And, and I originally came into it because I was asked by a friend to sit on, in on some conversations because there was a group of funders who came together to talk about how to respond to COVID. And so I had not been a part of that world. I hadn't had those conversations. I'd been on the kind of the receiving side, the typical receiving side of, of that relationship. And so I was asked to sit in and I wasn't sure if I had anything to contribute to the conversation or if I, you know, but um, as I sat there and over the course of the time um, back in March and April of 2020, um, that quickly shifted as our nation shifted after the deaths of Ahmad Arbery were exposed, mm-hmm. and then yes. um, also George Floyd's death. Um, when those things happened, that conversation shifted from only responding to the crisis that was COVID to um, you know being aware that there was a generational crisis, there was a social and relational crisis that needed address also, and they were willing to have conversations about. Mm-hmm what a response could look like. Let me, let me, let me get my bearing straight here. Cause I've really, I've really got interested all of a sudden Yes, is because <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where I live in that space and the work mm-hmm. that I do. Mm-hmm. So I am typically the person that needs the money to do the work. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I'm the guy that's running around looking for donations. I'm looking for a grant that fits my mission yep. that I can apply for. 
Uh, and, and I have been semi-successful, I guess I would say, at keeping my work going. But I know other people that are doing similar work yes. that are striking out miserably. Right, yeah. And I don't think it's because the quality of the work or the mission is bad. I don't know why they're not getting funded yeah. Yeah, or they're not able to, or uh, maybe you're just a bad fundraiser or you need somebody else to, who's on your board? Or who, who's giving you money? You know, there's all mm-hmm. kind of things. So mm-hmm. what I'm interested in here now is, is how does the inner city mm-hmm. nonprofits or the people that have good mission, good work, but are really struggling to do the work because they don't have the funding, how do they connect with the funder? And so you're, this is the, this is the bridge that you are now found yourself in. Yes. Or on. Yes. Yeah. And on helping to build, okay. um, being, being. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, but one of the things that, you know, uh, so we're a large black family doing the kind of work that you're talking about. And so we've, we've had interactions with funders that have been encouraging and, you know, inspiring, but we've also had interactions that have been discouraging and sometimes um, were an affront to our dignity. And, uh, and so we sensed some things, but we didn't have numbers and we didn't have studies on this. And in 2020, a study came out, um, a, a bridge span report um, which we do feature on the website that we're going to talk about a little bit later, but it begins to uh, unpack some of the disparity in financial support for Black-led nonprofits. And one of the uh, statistics that really has um, kept my feet to the fire and kept me in this work for two years uh, was the that there is a disparity amongst um, smaller black-led nonprofits. But when you talk about um, a nonprofit that is led by a black male, the disparity increases to 45% smaller revenues and 91% less unrestricted funds for uh, nonprofits run by black males. And so there is this huge gaping um, and now evidenced uh, disparity between giving to uh, black-led nonprofits and their white counterparts, even if they are in working in the same sector, doing the same kind of work, have the same uh, number of years of experience in that sector, there's still just a huge difference. So, let's let's sit with that for a second. What are because we kind of want to build the tension a little bit here of like why is this conversation <laughs> important yeah, and all that? Like that it? that's. That's big. Like, what were some other stats found in the the study that really resonated with you that um, was something that you think is worth worth stating right now? Um, well, in general, the the unrestricted net assets. So when we talk about what that is, we're talking about funds that are given where the organization is not told how to allocate those funds. They're it's like you're the leader. We trust that you know what you're doing with your organization. We're going to give these funds and let you decide where they go. Yep. Um, and and that is it's a communication of trust to to a certain extent. And so with any black led organizations, this out of this um, report, those unrestricted allocations are seventy six percent 
lower uh, than white led counterpart organizations. And so, but it goes even, the, the difference is even higher when you're talking about an organization led by a black male it goes from 70%, 76% smaller to 91% wow. um, unrestricted funds. And so that to me was like one of those glaring differences that said, wait a minute, <laughs> we've, we've been working in this. My husband has over 30 years of experience in what he's doing. Um, and yet it felt like we were just scraping along and like it was so hard to make any progress. And, um, and I, you know, we, we talk about race, we talk about racism, but I also think we just have, um, we have the challenge of being in our, um, our environments that are, they're just not connected. Like we don't have relationships and we don't have a lot of resources flow on the vein of relationship is what I like to say. And so when you don't have relationship, you may have a great application. Um, and and it, this may or may not be fair, but it, it, this is just how the world works. Um, our networks of relationships are, I believe, how God meant for us to take care of each other. And so um, if we don't have relationships with people that are different from us, that look different from us, that come from different backgrounds and are doing different kinds of works and have a different perspective, then what we have to offer and what they have to offer isn't able to be exchanged. And so I'm passionate about this work because I'm seeing new relationships formed where there wasn't relationship. And and with that, resources are flowing not just one way, but there's actually transformative um, interaction happening because the mutually. relationship produces trust mm -hmm. and trust is what you were just talking about yeah. when you talk about unrestricted do what we trust you to do run your organization the way you want to run it mm -hmm. as opposed to we don't trust you we're going to give you this money but we're going to tell you where you need to spend it exactly yeah exactly. that's interesting yeah and we don't have local statistics on the and this is one of the pushes I would just love to see one of the resource partners take up as kind of their deal is to help us to have some local metrics. Metrics; These are national metrics. I mean, another statistic is that 92% of U.S. foundations have a white president and 83% of the full-time executives are white, 68% of program officers are white. So we have a representation challenge um, of not being able to bring the lived experience that's happening on the ground and in running these organizations and in these communities, in the decision-making rooms where funds are being allocated because there, there just isn't the representation there. Um, so we know the power of storytelling. We've been talking about that for a long time. Uh, and you've recently launched a new project uh, and you, you've taken a theme with this of kind of woven and weaving. Um, can you explain kind of the theme, the goal, and kind of the the reception that's been um, received since you launched it? Yeah, I have used the theme of weaving to describe um, these relationships that are coming together and the loom where weaving can take place. And uh, I, I'm at my heart, I'm a homeschool mom. <laughs> I am, uh, I'm an artist. And I want people to be able to imagine something and actually actually do something with their hands that brings something alive for them. So um, in this relationship building project, 
I have uh, used the imagery of the loom to just, there's a tension at the loom. You have to bring, there has to be tension in order to have anything to weave through and to hold place. And so um, you have different threads and different materials and different sizes and all of that coming together to, to create this beautiful tapestry um, that's colorful and varied. And, uh, and so we've used that to describe these relationships that we're building. But uh, The Loom is a digital journal that we have launched to tell the stories of some of the relationship building that has happened. So in the beginning, um, I was asked to sit in on these conversations. And then from that, um, I saw some beautiful humility and curiosity, which I think are two things that, um, boy, we can't get enough of them. Mm -hmm. Like we live in a world where curiosity is discouraged because if you don't say it right or you don't come to the table already knowing you could get your voice canceled or you could be dismissed or you can be embarrassed. And um, and so nobody really likes that. Um, but we've tried to create some safe spaces where um, initially these resource partners could have safe conversations to discover what they didn't know and to um, ask questions and to self-examine. And so I walk them through a process of uh, awakening to the challenges, lamenting, which nobody likes lament. Like I actually wrote a lament dedicated to Ahmaud Arbery's mother um, because uh, I was processing that right before Mother's Day um, 2020. And I just, I, she was so heavily on my heart and I was lamenting for the death of her son. Um, I had a son who, uh, who was also a runner. And at that time it was mother's day fell on his birthday. And so, um, just walking through the process of lament and then moving to hope because we often want to skip to hope really fast, um, before we've taken the time to grieve the problem uh, and then to celebration, which I call amazement. And so we walk through this process, and then um, I, all along, I'm I'm thinking, man, I wish people could see because this group of folks was like, they were these folks that were in buildings that I didn't go into, and I didn't know how they thought or who they were. It was just a system that I had no familiarity with. But by the end of this process, you know, we're sharing about our children, and we're sharing about. Um, our marriages and our struggles and the things we're learning. And they became, um, that's why you move from the outer edge of funder in uh, the closer you step in relationship, they cease to simply be a funder. They become your resource partner, then your partner in the work, and then your friends. And so um, as I grew in relationship and, and listened and this system became humanized to me, um, I'm thinking, man, I wish people could hear these stories, but I can't tell them because these are, you know, some of them are very public people. And mm -hmm. it was just appropriate for me to be discreet at that time. But now, two years later, there are several of them who are excited and willing to share their stories. Um, and some of the experimenting that we've done to collect, connect them with nonprofit leaders in relationship, not just in the work, but actually having coffee, having lunch together, getting to know each other. Um, they're telling those stories of how trust is being built and what's coming out of that. So, and those stories are told in the digital journal called The Loom. The Loom. And uh, we'll say the 
domain several times over mm-hmm. and over again, but you can find it at loom-woven.com. Yes. And we'll say it a few times before the end of this podcast so <laughs> people good. will not miss it. But um, what I'm excited about this project is this is not a, this is not a one and done thing. So this right. was um, you've come out with um, the first um, volume volume. Yes. Thank you. Um, volume was on trust. And can you give us, uh, are you allowed to share the other volumes or is that secret or? It's not a secret, but it could change. We'll see. Uh, No, we can build excitement and say more to come. Yes, there is is more to come. I can tell you that volume two is about honor and what does it mean to honor one another in relationships and what, and in the way that we work together and honoring how I tell my story and honoring Um, one of the things that I'm pretty passionate about is moving specifically black nonprofit leaders, because I think it's extremely pronounced amongst them, um, honoring the need to make a difference and to make a living. So these are some of the things that we'll discuss in volume two. But the volume one was about trust and they, uh, we had different interviews and articles um, we have resources for people to be able to uh, understand more of the dynamics in the funding world um, that are shifting toward a trust-based philanthropy. Um, there are studies that are included in there and links to those. So there's there's a, a chunky amount of information. Yes. One, one quote that I, I love on the website uh, that is from you. Uh, there's a lot of other ones on here, but it says trust is built on how we handle one another's pain. Yeah. Yeah. When I read that, I was like, that is. Boom. Drop, mic drop. <laughs> mic drop. <clears throat> Would you explain that just for a second? And then I'm sure Cuba has yeah. some yeah. thoughts. I, well, I think that people of color in our country have been carrying pain. Um, and that 2020 was a wonderful opportunity to carry that pain together. And I saw a lot of responsiveness, um, you know, varied kinds of responsiveness. And and to this day, you know, there are those who are leaning in and there are those who are pushing it away. Um, those who are trying to suppress the conversation, those who are trying to, you know, bring attention to the conversation. But um, I, I don't if I'm in pain and your response is to put your hand over my mouth then we can't, I can't trust you. And so, um, but when you listen and when you, um, and and we can be talking about race or we can talk about, oh, you forgot our anniversary or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever the pain is. Um, My husband does not do that, by the way. (laughs) He does great. That's another example. (laughs) But if if we are um, willing to take the risk and be vulnerable to share that we have pain, and someone handles that pain with empathy, with belief, you know, and not trying to talk me out of, you know, you just heard about my pain today, but you're trying to tell me why. Or one you up know. you. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, let me tell you about my pain. Well, yes. Let's do the pain Olympics right here. Yes, right, right. <laughs> so if, if, if we can handle each other's pain um, with generosity, and with compassion, then we can build trust. But when we handle one another's pain with, um, you know, kind of arguing it away or indifference, then we don't have that foundation of trust that helps us to build toward, you know, co-created tomorrows. So, so Scotia, let me 
I'm a I'm a nonprofit guy. Mm-hmm. Let's say mm-hmm. hypothetically speaking, I'm a uh, I'm working hard. I'm having difficulties, uh, and the statistics support my difficulties mm-hmm. uh, for doing the work. Now, how I understand, I need these relationships. I get it. Yeah. I and now you're giving me tools to uh, once I get in a relationship, how to build trust and and listen to the stories and tell my story and share my story. How do I get the opportunity? How do I get in the room? Yeah. Where do I meet these these opportunity uh, holders or where do I get, the, how do I get in the room with the funders past the application? Yeah. Yeah. The application is difficult. And this, and again, much of my conversation has been how can the funding world be more user friendly? You know, how can they make those applications really um, extract the information that they need and not just like a bunch of things that are going to be burdensome for the practitioner is what uh, we call the nonprofit leaders. But um, I, I would say the first thing is backing up to um, it goes before actually interacting with the funders. And this was something that kind of came to me late one night, which was to be the giver and to cultivate in myself because I, I feel like I had um, a lack mentality in some things and and I operated out of that in some ways. And I had to, I had to, for me, um, cultivate a mindset that what I had and what I was doing had great value, regardless of whether someone else is seeing that yet. And so just internally, there was some work that needed to be done. Um, And so that, I I feel like that internal um, examination is step one, because there is time when you're told no, or, you know, that's not one of the things that we fund. We think it's important, but that's not within our funding parameters. Um, that's not something we focus on, and that can't be taken as kind of a crushing blow. Now, I understand what it means to be two weeks from closing the doors, juggle, and you, you're you underfunded and understaffed and overworked and exhausted, and how um, painful it can, come, it can be to come into that interaction with um, a potential resource partner. Um, but um, I think that Again, and this goes back to so many principles of Stronger Together, um, getting around a table together and connecting in a way that's where there can be some mutuality in the conversation. I think that there's a whole culture that needs to be shifted in terms of ideas like mutuality, where so often the person applying for a grant is being um, examined and they're being vetted and they're being uh, um, their criteria and how well their books are and you know all of these things are being looked at without that understanding that some of that vetting needs to be going both ways in Mm. the relationship like are you a good partner for me yes I need funding but we need more than funding we need champions for this work and figuring out um, how to bring a little bit more humanity to that process on both sides of that relationship. Um, but in terms of getting to know people, I I have met 
quite a few of the grant officers in different organizations, and they feel like they're very approachable. They want to be helpful. And so I would say um, calling some of those places or emailing some of those grant officers and asking for a coffee, you know, just getting together to spend some time together without the high stakes pitch happening because it's those times that, you know, everyone kind of retreats into um, that uh, giver-receiver role versus everyone being able to be a giver and everyone being able to be a receiver, and we figure out if this is going to be done together in partnership. But um, so That, I would that think feels that like would the hard part, like getting in the room. The, uh, it, it does you feel know, Getting hard. past the screen and being heard. Mm-hmm. But then I'm curious, too, what is when – as you work with these funders mm-hmm. and you point out these statistics, what's the reaction when, because they could very well say, wait a minute. Um, those statistics suggest we have a racist practice. Right. Uh, and are you trying to tell me that we look at that when we only looking at the data to support organizations and we have these particular matrix that we go by we don't have a color on the application. We don't have, you know, that kind of stuff. How are you dealing with that uh, to not be accusatory, but Mm -hmm. just to, to illuminate these are the numbers. Right. Yeah. Well, again, 2020 was an opportune time where people were willing to do some self-examinations and um, one group, it's the racial equity work group of the uh, central Oklahoma funders round table they did a self-assessment. So we, we created this um, uh, survey, and that survey was sent to all of the, the participants in that group. And, um, and they were able to say, you know, to my knowledge, this is the amount of funding that goes toward Black-led nonprofits, or this is, you know, we're eyeballing it, but this is the percentage of representation we have in our organization. And I think that that um, showed a lot of courage to like, let's look at what we really are doing in response to these numbers, um, where we're at, just figuring out where we're at. Um, However, there were some that actually didn't want to have the conversation and Mm. were very uncomfortable with it. And it felt accusing. And I think that what I'm doing to try to mitigate for feeling, you know, I'm showing these numbers to say you're a racist and that's why you're not funding, you know, this um, is to build relationship with them. Like I tell our stories. So I tell my story as a nonprofit um, leader and I share it with vulnerability. Like I've I've exposed things that are uncomfortable, like, you know, in conversations, this is what we make. And this is how many kids we have. These are some of our bills. And this is this is what it looks like to do this kind of work in the marketplace. And I know that I could be making more in the marketplace, but I, I want to make a difference in my community. And so um, having those vulnerable conversations is has been my give in this whole deal in terms of bridge building. But um, I think that was one piece. It's like saying we have to be honest about self-examination and we have to listen. So I have this um, offering through my business called Converge Listening Labs. And so I pulled together two cohorts of black nonprofit leaders and I asked them questions about storytelling and how 
the process and access and um, and that report, which is also on loom-woven.com, uh, the Converge Listening Lab report pulled together the comments from these leaders to report back to the funders roundtable, and and it was pretty uh, direct. Direct, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was pretty direct. And you're being nice. I'm being, being nice. nice. Yeah. <laughs> it was, you know, it was, some of it was a hard pill to swallow, right. but um, it was it was there. If it's hard to hear, you only have a taste of how hard it is to live it. Yeah, if it's and hard so to hear, imagine what the experience is. Yes, yeah. every day. So um, this group, were, they were willing to listen. They were willing to self-examine. And so those are some of the things that we were trying to enact on that side of, of things. And then we are also trying to host uh, events, in fact, just uh, a little bit, well, it was Friday, a little bit, yeah, it was this past week, um, we hosted an event bringing together funders and practitioners for lunch, we discussed honor because we're prepping for the next uh, issue of the vo- uh, volume two of the loom. And we talked about what does it mean to honor and what are some of the hurdles in our interactions that keep us from honoring each other well or undering, understanding each other's language of honor. So those are some of the So gatherings. the event is creating op- more opportunities for these people to connect. Yes. Right. It's, yep. So. You're, That's all I want to do is just connect people. Just connect. Yeah, so you're using <laughs> the trust you have in both worlds yes. to to transfer in a room because they come because they trust you. And and some of the other and folks some of the, that are involved folks. in right. the conversation. Okay, yeah. good. So kind of two points I'm, I'm thinking about right now, kind of circling back to how do you bring some of these disparities to people? Mm-hmm. I think one was the timing, right? So we were in a season uh, mm-hmm. in 2020 where people were a little bit more open than than typically they were. Um, but two, I'd love for you to talk about transferred trust. I know mm-hmm. that you and I have talked about this. This is something that's big with, and then content that I do is kind of this idea of transferred trust. And so it wasn't something where you just kicked down the door and threw out these data, right, this, right. all the studies and all these, there was actually some transferred trust that I've heard you talk about yes. for you to be able to, there was some groundwork before you got in the room mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. between relationships and an introduction. Would you mind telling a little bit about your just thoughts on transferred trust? Yeah. Um, my buddy, Tyler Green, was actually the one who invited me to that first conversation. Uh, and I've done some things with Flourish OKC, which he um, helps to lead up, and uh, he's from that funding world, but he thinks like a practitioner, mm-hmm. and so and and has a lot of trust and relationships. And so he brought me in because uh, I was able to come into those spaces because I had a friendship with him, and that was his world. And so he um, he made everyone else feel like I was a part of the group. Um, because they trusted him. And and I don't think we can get very far in any of this work if we aren't willing to do that for one another. And, Mm. you know, if Tyler is coming into some of my spaces, like he already has tons of trust in my world. Um, But if it's a part of my world that he hasn't been in and they don't know him, um, they trust him because I trust him and vice versa. And so he has done that with me in this world and um, and. So even though I'm the person here 
talking about this today. This really is our shared effort. Um, and I am blown away by the responsiveness of Flourish OKC to um, understanding these issues and trying to be responsive um, and caring and wrapping around care with the partners that they have um, uh, come to partner with up to this point. But transferred trust is key because um, if if we're going to build bridges, no one person can do that by themselves. No one person can like live, you know, in all of these spaces and then also in the spaces in between. You'll you will die on the vine if you try to live in the spaces in between alone. And so he's one of those folks. Um, you all know many of those uh, people who are building those types of bridges. You know, Clarence, we all live in the spaces in between because our mission is to bridge the divide. You're two years to the process. Mm-hmm. And I like for you to kind of share what you're personally learning through the process? Ooh, I, I'm learning a ton through this process. Um, <laughs> what's the what's the what's the nugget that you'd give away? Like, because anytime you're in a relationship, like we do pick up, mm-hmm. we learn a little bit more about ourselves as we learn about others, yes. which is so cool. But the takeaway, like. I, I kind of feel like right now when you when you said the statistics, I imagine there's people that are driving in their car right now that said, I knew there was a reason that I didn't get, I, that I keep getting denied, mm-hmm. that I keep getting crumbs when other people doing this work are getting massive amount or, or I'm getting nothing and they're getting something. Mm-hmm. And she just answered the question for me. So when you get there, was there an aha moment in this work or something that you learned in the process? You know, I throw out statistics. I, I don't live a, the life of statistics. Right, that's right. I mean, that's not really who I am. I throw that out because I know right. that that will um, be helpful for, for, you know, telling part of the story and especially is the language of some of the people <laughs> who will listen to this. Mm-hmm. But um, I live in the world of uh, intuitive relationship. And I mm-hmm. have... Um, always believed that, you know, we talk a lot about the problems all the time. These are the problems. These are the problems. We need solutions to the problems. Um, For me, uh, solutions are the fruit of connection. And solutions come out of being connected to one another. We can't, in our silos, come up with an outline of solutions to the problems facing our cities as an intellectual exercise. It actually is something that is birthed out of us, connecting with one another, understanding and listening, um, and then moving forward into action together. So um, I, I do share statistics, but I also think that the greatest challenge of our city is, the, is broken relationships, lack of connection, um, because those connections are what build the empathy necessary and the compassion necessary and the skills necessary to move forward um, toward the solutions. That's awesome. Solutions are the fruit of connection. I got that. If that's Boom. not your takeaway, if that's you did not, tweet. if you that's did not tweet. write that down or tweet that, then you missed an <laughs> opportunity. And so uh, typically we'd ask, uh, where they can find you or what they can do. I have an action step that I want them to take. Okay. I want them to go to loom dash woven 
dot com, and you can find a place where you can subscribe to the digital journal. And so it's your name and your email address, and you'll receive some amazing emails, um, just kind of knowing when the next volume um, comes out, other opportunities um, to kind of just see the work that's being done, um, to learn, to process. Uh, there's so many great things from you've engaged artists and yeah, yeah and we want to there, tell there's a like beautiful story. right exactly it, it comes back to that kind of woven and weaving different people skills mm-hmm. um together and and you can definitely see that on the website yeah. uh, and so I challenge listeners today to go and subscribe uh, and sign up for that newsletter and and know this the the loom is not Scotia's project. The loom is, I, I get to be a narrator of a story, but the subject, the heroes of the story are these funders and practitioners that are working toward building relationships with one another and solving um, the challenges of our city by loving our city well and loving each other well. And so I get to narrate some of this, but if you look on the gratitudes page, which is my favorite page of mm-hmm. the loom, You'll see, I mean, there are probably 50 people who contributed to just volume one being created. And um, we've got a prayer team, you know, we've got resource partners, we've got contributors, people who did the website and the video. And, you know, some of the legal work uh, in the background has been done um, by practitioners and funders. So, um, I'm really grateful to get to be a narrator in this story, but the stars are um, are in the journal. So check it out. Well, Scotia, thank you for your time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. We had a blast. Um, thanks for being our guest. We'll be back soon with more episodes and want to thank you for listening. As always, we are seeking common ground for the common good. I am Waylon Cubitt. And I'm Taylor Doe. And this is the United Voice Oklahoma podcast, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the United Voice Oklahoma podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review. Please share the show with your friends and family. It really helps us to get the conversation out to more people. This podcast is a production of United Voice Oklahoma, one of the initiatives of the Stronger Together movement, and is produced by OKC Good. This current season is made possible by the generous support of the Oklahoma City Black Justice Fund.